The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yoko Ono is an interesting character, and I think one whose relevancy is increasing with our times. For one, I can't think of a character who's endured more smear campaigns, and and now we, we live in an era defined by those. So many of us get smeared. I've been smeared to heck and back for instance and and so many people have but yoko well you know was there first in a way i mean she got credited for uh destroying everybody's favorite band uh when bands were the most important thing on earth the other thing about yoko ono that i think is really poignant for these times is her lifelong dedication to promoting peace and to delivering peace as an ideal, as an idea. Um, anytime you champion peace, you're um, encumbered with the naivety of such a proposition. And so therefore, too, you bring about more smear campaigns and stuff like that, because peace, um, I don't know, it isn't really a cool idea. And in, in our times, we can see now even saying something like cease fire is controversial. Singing give peace a chance is controversial. And so here to talk about Yoko Ono and, and much more is Madeline Baccaro. She's a New York author and journalist specializing in rock and roll. She is the author of In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono. Madeline has contributed to books and documentaries about music, including Stardust, The David Bowie Story, Muse, uh, The Wild One, The Story of Iggy Pop. I love me some Iggy Pop. Mick Ronson, The Spider with the Platinum Hair and the Nomi song, Klaus Nomi's documentary from 2005. Madeline was a staff writer at CMJ from its inception in 1978, and she has contributed to a variety of magazines, including Mojo, Dazed, and Confused, and Goldmine. She's here with us now. Madeline, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, First of all, I'm this the title of the Yoko Ono book, and it's it's massive. It's over five hundred pages, right? I mean, this is right. this is a, a major achievement, a major accomplishment. It's the sort of quintessential biography of Yoko Ono, really. And why did you decide? I, I would think the title, "The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono," would suffice. Why did you add in "In Your Mind"? Well, um, all of her art is conceptual, pretty much. And imagine this, imagine that. Um, and there's a art catalog of hers that it's a very rare one. The, it's the exhibition where she met John in 1966, the catalog from Indica Gallery. And I have a signed copy um, of this very rare thing. And it's um, there's some text in there. And there are three words that were omitted from a sentence. And they were in your mind. And she hand wrote them. And they jumped out at me. And I said, this has to be the title of the book. Yeah, she does deal with the imagination, um, conceptual, as you say, and also the transitory nature of things. I was I was thinking about that. That's part of her thing is if thing is ever finished or she'll she'll put out unfinished work because nothing is ever permanent because a bunch of her artwork was destroyed at one part in her life. 
Well, everything in her life was destroyed. She lived through the bombing of Tokyo and she had to be moved out to countryside with her siblings and they were hungry, searching for food. I mean, a lot of people don't know this whole side of her story. She's from a very uh, an aristocratic, very wealthy family, one of the wealthiest in Japan. Um, she wasn't really um, given enough love and attention as a child. Same thing with John Lennon. He was abandoned by his parents. And they were both, you know, he was born during wartime as well. And they they both had this sense of abandonment and they were both very fragile. And when they met, they they totally understood each other and supported each other and nurtured each other. And they did everything together. So this was a healing process. Their, their art, their work, their music was all about healing themselves and others. They wanted to help others. Everything was cathartic. The unfinished aspect of the work is that you pick it up and you handle it and you put your stamp on it and finish it. I love that part of it. I love anything that can deflect perfectionism, anything that can circumvent perfectionism. Uh, I'm all about that. Um, and yeah, when you when you bring up the healing aspect of their relationship, it's true. They, it's a funny. It's a funny relationship to dissect and it you know became such a phenomenon in our culture and when you talk about the healing thing i, I i'm i'm reminded of arthur janoff and primal scream therapy that was a big thing they were into for a while yes it is and she was uh into screaming before janoff was you know she was doing it all along and um janoff even made a statement that um, John, when he came to him, he was in a really bad state. He said that the level of his pain was enormous. He was almost completely non-functional. He couldn't even leave the house or his room, and he had no defenses. He was just falling apart, and he's just one big ball of pain. And he said, you know, this is somebody the whole world adored, and it didn't change a thing. You know, at the center of all that, he was just a, a lonely little kid in, in the middle of all this wealth and admiration. Yeah, I I got introduced to primal scream therapy a long time ago and and I mean I guess there's different ways to deal with the trauma of being a human being. You know, there's no way to to get away from that, circumvent it, you know. Um so no, especially I think it's either, when you're damaged as a child, you know. Which which one of us isn't damaged as a child? I've never met one. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> Uh, to different degrees, you know, I mean, I, abandonment, I can't imagine not being wanted by both, you know, parents or thinking I wasn't wanted. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Young says the needs of the child can't possibly be met by the parent. Um, and, and so there's something to that. I, I think that the nature of life is to sort of grow through trauma. And I was getting ready to say you can either deal with it in a psychological level or a, um, a religion or a God-oriented level, I think, spiritual or psychological. Um, or artistic. Guys, yeah, and, and art, or all three. I mean, you could do all three. I'm sure many people do. But um, what? why do you think you have been so compelled by Yoko Ono? I mean, you're, you kind of were, in a way, an obsessive fan, I think, to some degree, right? I loved her since I was 10 years old. And I think um, she has a very childlike way of presenting things. She's very, you know, innocent in a way. She really thought she could change the world, but with her art and with her communication, 
And I was just attracted to her work, it, mostly the artwork. It was kind of kooky, some of it. You know, she had a film made of, you know, people's naked bottoms walking on a treadmill just in close up. And I thought, this is great. Here's an adult doing something so kooky and strange. I love it. And then she's with John Lennon and just watching them throughout my life, like watching the bed-ins and the, them on the news every day and running through airports and messages of positivity all the time. I thought, this is wonderful. I could feel like I was a part of history while I was living through that and watching it. And I collected everything I could find on them. You know, every article, every audio tape, I would listen to them on the radio. And uh, it became like where I could just, I would write about them all the time. I would write, if I'd go to a concert, I'd write about that, I'd write about her artwork. And in this whole collection that I have, I was able to pinpoint um, all the quotes I needed from her, from John, Sean, their son, from Phil Spector, Paul McCartney, to put together their whole entire story in an undeniably true way so that nobody could refute that this is the true story and that she's not an evil person at all. She's the opposite. She's wonderful. She healed John. She she really did more for him than anyone ever could have. And uh, if you've spent five minutes with her, you know why he adored her. So I, I did get to spend a lot of time with her. And um, she's been wonderful and beautiful. There's no, and there's no other book about her entire life. It's all art books or just little books that touch the surface. But I wanted to really put her whole story together because it's fascinating, every aspect of it. And it's relevant for our times, because at first glance, I mean, they got so much hatred for the bed ends. I remember those interviews that there's interviews you can see on YouTube of just uh, I forget, like New York Times journalists just attacking John Lennon in, in an interview and, and attacking Yoko Ono. And at at first glance, you think, oh, it's because, uh, you know, she apparently the the narrative was she broke up the world's most beloved band. Um, but I, in our times now, with peace being this controversial word suddenly again, um, do you think it had more to do with the fact that they were really trying to up level the consciousness of humanity? Yeah, that was it. I mean, and they were trying to do it in a very simplistic way. So it was the the establishment was totally thrown off by it. You know, they were used to maybe more ver verbal and vocal people, uh, more militant kind of protests. And here comes these two people in white sitting in bed and actually joking with the press and media with a serious message. And everybody was confused by it. And they were called clowns and they they knew that they expected people would laugh at them but you know as long as people weren't picking up a gun they were saying yeah this is great laugh at us if you want to but we're promoting peace and that's what they dedicated their life to and they really really thought they could change the world i mean there's a documentary uh called give peace a song and at the end of this thing they're in the bed and the the, the media guy says um you know you don't really think that we're going to see peace in our lifetime. And, and Yoko says, yes, we will. And, and John's telling me, yeah, we will. And they were just so sincere, you know, and you just see that, that they were just so full of love and just so positive. And it was just so beautiful to see. That's why I, I, I just, I just admire their sincerity and honesty, most of all. 
Where do you think they got that naive, like that naive childlike wonder from? I mean, John was famously, um, you know, and who knows how much any of these stories are true, but just the the spin on him was he was angry and had a lot of aggression in him. And, you know, you could hear it in his voice. He's one of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time. And there's certainly um, a lot of bite in his in vocals. Um do you think this came from yoko like john trying his hand at conceptual art sort of it it almost seems to me from the outside looking in that he was more inspired by her than the other way around um yes she was very inspired by him musically i think you know he gave her a rock beat where she was all avant-garde and strange and she she really uh took to that and she liked it and she went with it uh, but as far as her influencing him, major, major. And, you know, she he really appreciated the art and the positivity of her art. And um, the reason that they were so innocent and childlike, I think, is they were so much in love and they were happy. And they were just trying to share this happiness and trying to get everyone else to, to be a part of it. But the opposite was happening and the world was trying to tear them apart and they were spending most of their energy trying to stay together. And it was really, um, really unfortunate for them. He put a lot of pressure on them. And so you were got, fell in love with Yoko as a young, young girl and wrote about her a lot and collected all kinds of stuff. And then eventually you ended up meeting her at the Dakota. One of your friends urged you to go there. I mean, that could have gone a lot of different ways, but apparently she greeted you with open arms. Tell me, tell me about that. Well, she and John would greet everyone with open arms, you know, when, when fans would wait up for them on the sidewalk all the time. And she was no different even after he passed, which was really, you know, it's amazing that she wasn't terrified to, to really interact with anyone, but she, she was great. She was out. I went on her birthday so she would know I was there for her. We had been pen pals so um, for a long time. And um, I brought her a present and I, I saw her. She, she came out right away pretty much. She was coming out of the park, actually. And when she saw me, I, you know, I told her who I was and she let out this scream and she's like, oh, my God, it's you. I'm doing this art exhibition next week. You have to come to this, come to that. And she started inviting me to her concerts and her exhibitions and her exhibitions of John's work that she was showing at the time. And it was just wonderful to be able to talk to her about her work. And she was so thrilled that that somebody really appreciated it and understood it. Because back then, this was like 1984, you know, people were a little more forgiving of her. They maybe felt sorry for her because of what happened to John, but they weren't really warming up to anything uh, she was doing at the time, the, the music or the art. So, you know, I was a fan of it all. I mean, even now, certainly she's super well-respected. She's beloved. I mean, it's nothing like it was back in the day. But, yes, yeah, she endured uh, just, you know, an awful smear campaign on her character for so many years. What effect do you think that had on her? I mean, she seemed to, you know, sort of take it well, but I'm assuming that it was difficult. It was very difficult. Um, she had breakdowns, of course. Um, it, it really was so unfair. It was blatant lies that people still believe. It, I thought it was easing up, you know, but 
I'm in some groups on Facebook, like Beetle groups, and you used to just see the hatred and and the the lies, you know, that that's accusing her of doing all these things that she did not do. And they just repeat and repeat these things. It's just very sad. And that these are the people that re- should read the book, but unfortunately, I don't think they they will, you know. You got to make a cliff note version for the haters. I mean, no hater is going to read a 500 page tome to Yoko Ono. That's true, right? I mean, yeah, but um, I, I would have to cut her life in half in order to, it's 90 years of life. So it's not like I, I really, um, delved into so much of one subject it's it's spread over uh, there's activism there's feminism there's the music there's the art there's this love story of her and john it's just there's so many topics to cover and i couldn't leave any of it out it's all integral to her story and she never got remarried right i mean there's no, no. i never heard of oh yoko ono has a boyfriend or anything like that i mean she is had true? male I mean, friends. She... She's had male okay. friends. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Them. I mean, like, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no judgment. It's like, she spent most of the, the 40 years after John was killed, she spent protecting his legacy, putting out his music. She was very considerate of the fans wanting. She put out something almost every year for a while there. And even now she's she's always in charge of um, she's in the studio remastering and engineering with with a team that, that she trusts and putting out these 50th anniversary box sets of you know imagine and and mind games is coming out this summer um you know she's really caring about his music and his legacy and she she wants to give everything she has well i'm glad she's doing it let me take a quick break we'll be right back after these words on tnt jesse zerwell on tnt radio in nigeria it was reported that nigeria launches mass hpv vaccination campaign to curb cervical cancer and this jumped out at me because given what's happening in palestine it is another example of the seemingly never-ending brutalization of vulnerable populations, to put it one way, whether through explicit means like the slaughter that is occurring in Palestine or through more discreet, one could argue, means like so-called vaccination, which is nothing but poisoning. Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk the conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back with Madeline Baccaro, who wrote Yoko Ono's biography. Um, I heard you describe it as a million fortune cookies or a Bible of wellness because she has so many nuggets of insight and sort of, I guess, high spiritual concepts. Um 
Is that right? Is that how do people sort of read it as a self-help tome? Yes, people have told me that they're rereading their favorite chapters. They they intend to read maybe a chapter a night, but they can't get through two pages without stopping and thinking and rereading and really absorbing. And it's nothing that's um, very complex. It's simple things like, you know, she'll say water is more valuable than gold. And we don't think of that, you know, and um, history isn't what happened. It's what didn't happen. She's just very um, Japanese in her thinking. I think, you know, she's um, tries to be very positive. She turns every negative upside down on its head and um, just a whole, this is how she survived. You know, she's always in survival mode. And, and this is how she deflected all the barbs of criticism and hatred from every angle, you know, in every group, women, you know, she was, she was chastised for being a woman. She was in a male world, in the art world, in the music world. She was chastised for being Japanese, um, for being with John at all, no matter what. And, you know, she just got it from every angle. And people would send voodoo dolls to John and with, you know, in the shape of Yoko and stick pins in them. And they would tell him, oh, be careful at night, she'll slit your throat. There's a real insanity going on all the time. And we don't even know the worst of it, right? There's extortion. There were kidnapping threats on their son. The, the FBI was after them, right? Trying to deport them um, technically on that, that marijuana bust in England, which was planted on that. I mean, they just had so many obstacles. Her daughter was taken by her ex-husband. Um, she didn't see her daughter from when she was about seven until the girl grew up and had a child of her own. And that was devastating for her. Um, you know, the death of John right in front of her. I and mean, look what she survived. It could have been her. She was right there. So, Do you think she's some kind of mystic? I mean, do you rate her as a sort of a, a spiritual guru of some some sort? I think she's... Um, She's very spiritual and um, intuitive, but she did rely on a lot of um, oracles, let's say, you know, psychics, neurologists, um, astrologers. Um, and all of these things she believed helped her. Um, there's no way of knowing really, right, if, if any of it really did or didn't um, prevent anything from happening. Why wasn't it prevented? you know, why wasn't John's death prevented? We'll never know. Maybe John's death was postponed for for a decade because of, of these things that she followed and believed in. Um, but in a way, she was really obsessed with that stuff. And she conducted all of her business based upon it. Um, and it's very fascinating. And there were a lot of, there's a chapter in the book called Premonitions. And it's about all these things, especially songs she had written in the 70s that she released much later on where they're predicting things that that actually happened and it's kind of eerie but yeah she's very uh i'll just say intuitive she's not you know mystical herself but she's she's intuitive and and knowledge she's really brilliant actually and she also has an amazing sense of humor, and people don't know that. She's really funny. That's how you needed that to be with John, too, to get his humor and for him to really laugh with her. They were great. Well, you mentioned that songs predict the future. That, that is 
a common occurrence. There's something about that because songwriting taps into some kind of unconscious wisdom and it does that all the time in my own life in my own songs it it's it's unnerving how often that happens i I also heard a story that john compared himself to her grandfather and said i was him in a past life and they warned him don't say that because he was assassinated right exactly and he he felt that he kind of looked like him and he, you know, he was assassinated by a rebel because he was uh, very wealthy and he was a good guy. You know, he he was a banker and he founded a bank in Japan and um, his capitals came along and slashed his throat with a sword. And uh, but when John was visiting the family in Tokyo, he's like, yeah, look at this guy. I feel like he was me. And Yoga says, don't say that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of many, many eerie things in their story. Well, well, their relationship as well was kind of a threesome, not with another human being, although there's the whole yeah time when Sean went off to L.A., but I'm talking more specifically about New York City. It plays such a huge role in in their whole journey together. You know, tell me and that's your stomping grounds. You're in you're a New Yorker um yeah tell me how important you think new york city is to this whole story well yoko um had lived and worked here as an artist in the early 60s and she loved it she loved the village and she had opened up um she found a loft and she opened up this space where um off the grid composers and musicians uh and artists could do their work and and have these gatherings and it was really popular. And John Cage was there with Merce Cunningham and Charlotte Mormon. And, you know, she, George McTunis, who was the founder of Fluxus. And she got into this whole group and she was really instrumental in getting these people a place to perform because back then there were no venues for them. So she kind of did the first meltdown, you know, but it was for avant garde artists. And so when um, John, after John did the Imagine album, they were mixing it in New York. And she's like, oh, well, let's stay. We, you know, I love it here. And he fell in love with it right away, too. And she was showing him around the village, got an apartment on Bank Street. They fell right in with the the yippies, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, you know, and just thought you know, they really it was funny because later they told each other, you know, Jerry said to them, you know, we thought you were you were great politicians. And John and Yoko were like, oh, we thought you were great you know, the theatrical because they would do stage little things at um, the Wall Street. They would throw dollar bills around and they disrupted the whole the Democratic National Convention. And Johnny Yoko like appreciated those little tactics, but really it was dangerous for them to be associating with Abby and Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, right? Because the, the FBI kind of like took a interest in them after that and and it all went downhill he put out that album sometime in new york city um with elephant's memory band they did a concert in new york which i went to when i was 14. um and the concert got panned and john was devastated and um because they had plans on doing a big tour and everything with that but um it, it just you know he loved new york they had a few happy moments there but it was mostly spent um, under surveillance of the FBI, then the deportation hearing, 
you know, cramp their style pretty much. You know, they had to kind of lay low. Um, and then Nixon won the election and John went off the deep end and cheated on Yoko one night. It led to the lost weekend where he ended up in L.A. for 18 months um, with May Pang, who has a documentary out now about that. And, you know, but then they eventually got back together and they moved into the Dakota and they were there ever since. And he would walk the street. He was so happy that people wouldn't really accost him. Yeah, people asked for autographs and stuff. But in England, they were really anti-Yoko and he, he couldn't walk down the street despite being John Lennon, but also because of the cruelty that Yoko would experience. So he was much happier here. That's for sure. And why do you think she got that kind of cruelty? Just because she wasn't Bridget Bardot. She wasn't the usual kind of person that they thought John Lennon would be with. And and they took him, she took him from the Beatles. So they thought, which is not true. She, when he told her he was leaving the Beatles, she got worried because she said, wow, I'm an independent artist. What, what are you going to do while I'm doing my work? You know, she was worried that he wasn't preoccupied with them. Well, what would he be doing? And little did she know that they would collaborate and jump right into the Bettins and the acorn events and the war is over posters and the concerts and you know they just hit the ground running and um people didn't expect that either well what do you think yoko's thinking about peace these days i mean it, i mentioned earlier that peace has suddenly become a controversial word again uh maybe it always is but uh, particularly now when it's conflated with anti-semitism the way saying freedom of speech was conflated with racism a couple of years ago um i don't know if you're in contact with her on a regular basis but i'm wondering uh what her mind state is right now around the idea of peace well yoga's health isn't that great right now and she's really um kind of retired from everything but i'm sure she's devastated i mean this is not what she <laughs> wanted for the world at all um it's really not and um, it, it, it's not good, you know? It, it's kind of like the void that she and John left is being filled in with all this rampant. We don't have anybody, you know, we, even Bob Dylan, he's just singing his old songs, whatever he's doing, you know, even his new songs, they're not really, I mean, nobody, we don't have any musical icons to look up to who care enough to, you know, dedicate themselves as much as don and yoko did i i miss well it. i you know i'm not i'm not trying to self-promote here but i just put out a song called cease fire now <laughs> of course i don't have the the uh you know the eyes on me that john and yoko did but there are we are out here we are out here but it's uh they were in a unique position because they had such a massive amount of fame and attention and mm -hmm. and and there were less people this, doing it at the time the, and now you know it's so widespread yeah. you, it's harder to hear the there's such great stuff out there and you, you're bound to miss it yeah you're gonna miss it uh, but like for them to ride that roller coaster i mean you know it'd be fun to be sort of famous it's fun to be you know sort of rich but if you're like massively rich and massively famous i think it becomes a negative on your life or something to endure or something to overcome really well yeah john once said that you know people would come up to him and and 
they they're not even acting like themselves anymore. They they're just so blown away that they're in his presence. And he's just, you know, he he's just a guy and he wants to have a relationship or, you know, an exchange with someone, but but they're so out of whack when they're in his orbit that they can't even communicate with them. And, you know, it was must have been really frustrating for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were ahead of their time in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it's awesome that you wrote this massive, massive book. I mean, how how long did it take you to piece this whole thing together? So it's like my whole life of, you know, writing and but then it took me about three years to assemble it and realize that I had a book, right? I had all these different Word documents and my boyfriend gave me software that could organize it all. And I dumped it all in and I'm like, oh my God, I have like a 500 page book if I want to really sit and work on this. And that's what I did. It took me almost three years. And it was a lot and of quotes from her. So it reads really quickly. You know, it's like, it's not like reading a, a, a novel or, or fiction where it's blocks and blocks of text. It's just, it goes quickly because it's her talking. It's John talking a lot. And I'm assuming you sent it to her. Did you get any feedback from her? Oh, she has it. And Sean is oh, totally supportive of it. He's raving. He said, we love it. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. He said, thank you for caring enough to be so meticulous. All of her colleagues, you know, her best friends and her colleagues are all on board. You know, they're giving me great, great feedback. And I met John Dunbar from Indica Gallery, who introduced John to Yoko. And he's he has it and he loves it. So I can't ask for anything more. Her family is enjoying it. And Sean is a cool dude. I, I, I've gotten to interact with him, you know, several several times over the years, and he's uh, very nice, very open. You know, yeah. uh, he he turned out really well, I think. Really well, and he's her biggest fan. He really is. He he played in her band all the. He was her musical director, right? And the rising tour and following tours, and he, I mean, thank God for him. He's been great. Shout out to Sean Lennon. He is an awesome, awesome dude. Well, so your your interests go all over the place, though, in New York City as well. I mean, you 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 worked with CMJ. I I remember I used to play the CMJ Music Festival. You're Ooh. a fan of Lou Reed and oh, David yeah. Bowie and Pop. Uh, I mean, did your work did did Yoko Ono did going through the sort of uh, an analysis of her life and her work lead you to Bowie? in any kind of way? Well, Yoko and John were for, you know, it was Beatles, Yoko, John. And then I think I kind of went into Alice Cooper and then Bowie and Lou Reed and Iggy Pop, you know, it was that kind of way. So that's kind of how it unfolded. But yeah, John and Yoko were my first concerts, Lion in the Family Stone, Stevie Wonder. Um, you know, saw Lou Reed a lot of times, saw Iggy almost a hundred times. Just love, love, love these people. And I just love writing about rock and roll. And I don't write about anything I don't like. I wouldn't say I'm a rock critic because I'm not going to write about something. There's no point. Let somebody who likes it write about it, you know? So I, I just, uh, I do 50th anniversary tributes to certain albums on my blog. I do, you know, just re just like looking at these albums in retrospect and, you know, how I felt about them as a kid and how I feel about them now and people really enjoy it. So 
I like bringing back some memories and even introducing younger kids to the excitement of what it was like back then and seeing like legends in the small clubs, you know, and seeing Bowie and meeting some of these people and interviewing some of them. So that's great. I, it, I want to put it all down on paper because I wasn't able to do it most of my life because I was busy at regular jobs because the writing didn't pay enough, right? So now I can finally do it. I got to be friends with Lou Reed when I was in New York. I ended up being able to hang out with him all the time. And uh, he was an amazing guy. I walked, I remember walking through the West Village or maybe sort of Chelsea area. And he sort of pointed out where, where Lester Bangs used to live, who's another, you know, famous rock writer, right? And I was like, well, you know long dead right but they had famous wars and you know where lester put down rachel his his uh trans yeah. partner at one point and and all kinds of stuff and i said to him so now that he's gone you know and this was an older lou and and you know much softer basically and i said do you uh think back to lester fondly because i was a fan of lester bangs like carburetor dung or whatever his yeah. book, big big book of writings was called is an amazing book of rock and roll writing um and i figured lou would have a sort of magnanimous view of him just because he played such a huge role in the in the cultural aspect of his life but he was like he had not anything nice to say about him even then he was, uh. <laughs> he was like f him you know what i mean like it was still there pretty funny Lou's great I mean everybody says you know he was hard to kind of get along with but I met him three times and he was wonderful once was at the uh Halloween parade which was really appropriate because he has that song so yeah he's always been great and uh I do a lot of I I was writing you know Sparks right Ron and Russell Mail I do um a lot with them I write their newsletter for 20 years and they're a lot of fun. There's a great documentary out about them now by Edgar Wright. It's called The Sparks Brothers. And they're, they're a lot of fun. I travel with them a lot. And um, I don't know. I just, this new Stones album I wrote about. And Sly Stone has a new memoir out. I, I read that. And I, I do playlists. I write um, fun facts about all the songs. And it's funny because, you know, I used to make mixtapes for, for friends because on weekends I felt like listening to music. I'm like, well, I'm listening. Let me just make it for someone else. And I compile these things. And now with the Internet, it's great because you could just go and listen to anything and link to anything. And I make these themes playlists of, you know, songs about, um, you know, songs about radio or songs about the color silver or just I have these playlists up there. So. I love doing that on weekends and learning about the songs. Like I put down what I know, like all these little fun things and I learn even more and everything's sort of related, you know, and it's interesting how to, how to connect all these dots. I want to find out what you think of the new Rolling Stones record, but 
First, let me take a quick break right after these words on TNT. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to instant state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third-generation race car driver, and we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So, Madeline, we're talking about the Rolling Stones new album. I mean, I what I, I like about you because I, I'm involved and in, think about the same era of music. Bowie, the Stones, Iggy Pop, John, Yoko, the Beatles, that those kind of things. I mean... Do you think music has the same importance these days? What What is the music of those times? And, and also you're on the road with Sparks or you're writing their newsletter. I mean, these are people that are cosmic artists, I would say, you know, and it seems like that's almost, uh, you know, a throwback these days. What do you think? I think there's a lot of disconnect now. There's so many pockets and so many genres and so many everybody and their mother has a band and it's just i don't know how the best things are going to get heard or how the the things that have longevity would have longevity maybe aren't even getting out there you know but but in our day we had luckily i don't know we had very few outlets for these people and the ones that shone through were the turned out to be the strongest i think and and even the fringe the fringe was like uh known by the mainstream like lou reed he was so underground but everybody knew about him right so he everybody knew about this crazy velvet underground music and they would say how much they hated it but but they're talking about it right but now i think a lot of things are getting lost in the shuffle and i don't know what music means to kids now uh, I think they're mostly dancing to it or partying to it. I don't think they really have the connection that we did with the personalities who are singing. Like they're all into, I don't know, just just how pretty somebody is or how handsome somebody is, but not like the character of, you know, like Bowie. I mean, and and somebody who could change it up every album and still be incredible, you know, or I was always into a personality, you know, 
singing the music and and I was always drawn to the person and I don't think there's really any quality people right now I mean I'm sure you know they might be but they might not be as well known yeah that's a fair point I love Lou Reed specifically I mean Iggy Pop as well and they're all beautiful people as well in their own way David Bowie I mean but they're sort of freaky beautiful um but you were just talking about the fact that Michael has a new album out Michael I don't know if you catch that reference Michael no. <laughs> Michael yeah that's what John would call Mick he would remember oh, 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 yeah. that TV show he'd say Michael my yeah, you know yeah. he, he was like try to put him down a little bit like he wouldn't call him Mick he called him Michael mm -hmm. uh but, so it's interesting isn't it that the Rolling Stones and of course yeah they've lost Charlie Watts um and, and you know they're an incomplete version of themselves but they're still doing it and uh I don't I haven't listened to the whole record but the single I heard was pretty good it was better than I thought it would be uh what's your take on the whole new Rolling Stones record and how interesting do you think it is the fact that they're still going on after all these years it's really interesting I mean they rock you know they're, it's nothing heavy they're just rock and people can go and listen to that and not you know it it's fun and Jagger's hilarious to watch I mean yeah he's a brilliant showman and he's a masterful vocalist but boy I just go to laugh he's just a riot to watch but yeah I think the the single if if this thing came on your car radio unexpectedly like in the old days you would just be flipping and this thing popped out you'd be like oh this is great you know I mean Andrew Watt produced it and he gave Iggy a lot a lot of punch on his last record too it's really powerful I think it's fantastic and the whole album I really yeah. like it uh you know Miss Charlie Watts I miss Mick Ralphs I miss Mick Ralphs I'm a month of a fan I miss uh Mick Taylor I miss Mick Taylor miss these people like stop already you know you got Mick Jaggy you got Keith got Ronnie you got the stones Ronnie Wood man Ronnie Wood's my secret yeah. favorite I mean I, it's not exiling yeah it's no, not it's, exile not, it's not you know Baker's Banquet but it's it's the best thing we've got right now I think you ever heard I've, I've got my own album to do the Ronnie Wood solo album oh I've, I've got heard my it. own album to do no you gotta go listen to that there's okay. a song track three on that called mystify me is one of the mm -hmm. most beautiful songs I've ever heard and it's Ronnie Wood uh Ronnie Wood is uh incredible uh great musician um yeah so what else was I gonna ask you about besides the stones um oh yeah you brought up Iggy Pop um how interesting is it that uh like because you know there's that famous uh Mick Rock photo I don't know if you were friends with Mick Rock I was friends with him as yeah, well yeah, yeah. um I'm assuming you it's crossed his paths birthday with today him. it's his birthday uh, today oh my mm -hmm. god I didn't know that happy birthday Mick Rock I have my Instagram profile photo is a picture he took of me um oh. and I got to interview him a few times on my other podcast but um yeah what can you believe that Iggy is still going and that we've lost Bowie and Lou because there's that famous yeah. photo of the three of them I wrote yeah I wrote a whole 
a whole article about that photo and it's really really interesting uh yeah. that not only that Iggy's the survivor but the whole all of them had you know these alter egos and and how Iggy crashed that party he wasn't really even supposed to be there it's just a whole funny story so you should read that one day well, tell me about it. So Iggy, I didn't, I've never heard that, that Iggy wasn't even supposed to be there. That's interesting. Yeah, he didn't even know about it. He was just, you know, they were trying to keep the Stooges at bay pretty much. And, but, you know, he just walked in and it was okay. It's great that he was there. But um, yeah, the story is called Who Can I Be Now? Because it's, you know, they were different personalities at the time. And uh, I just thought that, I don't know how Bowie kind of was instrumental in bringing them both to the forefront. And in the end, they kind of, they didn't eclipse him, but they, they had like more of a street value than he did. And he was trying for that. He was always, he had to create, he had to fabricate worlds and, but he admired these guys who were in the streets of Michigan, the streets of New York, you know, Bowie always liked that urban quality, I think. And, um, so that's, I don't know, you have to read it. I can't remember what I wrote in there. It's just fascinating. That's funny. No, that's a good point, though. And I know exactly what you mean. There's a there's a time when Michael Mick, Mick Jagger uh, was obsessed <laughs> with Lou Reed. You know what I mean? And, and there's yeah. a photo of him famously behind Lou Reed's amp listening to a concert. And that's the thing with artists like Lou Reed, uh, Iggy Pop. And and I know what you mean about Bowie. He's a bit more of a theatrical performer. And those guys were almost trying to be theatrical, but they couldn't help but be genuine because they mm -hmm. just were the genuine article. Not that Bowie wasn't, but Bowie was more of an actor, I would say. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And Lou, you know, Lou had aspects of himself in what he was doing also, but it was definitely an alter ego. And and Iggy, you know, my God, he he's like a a brilliant guy, and he he's an animal on stage, and that was part of my fascination with him. You know, how can you be both? So cool. Well, and Lou would always call Iggy dumb, which is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wasn't dumb. He isn't dumb? no not at all but those guys had a healthy competition with each other and they loved to be as thin as possible they were so into not having oh. any body fat at all i mean iggy is a bodybuilder basically oh yeah and he got into the martial art whatever he does there and oh yeah lou tai chi lou did the tai chi yeah mm -hmm. it's amazing that they ended up I mean, Lou ended up so healthy in the end there. So. Oh, yeah, totally sober. I remember when I relapsed one time, he was like, don't blow it. Don't give it all away. And and mm. uh, and uh, he was like that. He was uh, a bastion of sobriety. And it's, it's so counter to the narrative on his life, you know? I mean, yeah. and just similar to Yoko Ono. I mean, just a total sweetheart from what you say. Mm -hmm and and she has you know that like you said there was articles written that you used in the book and that the writer was so 
uh happy you were going to do it because they wouldn't let them come out because they weren't sort of smeary enough on yoko yeah yeah she wanted they they told her you you should dirty this up we want to hear you know how she abandoned her daughter and it's the opposite it's true she was trying to find her daughter all those years so but i found a, a quote from bowie that's pretty funny is it any society that allows people like me and Lou Reed to become rampant is pretty well lost. We're both pretty mixed up, paranoid people, absolute walking messes. If we're the spearhead of anything, we're not necessarily the spearhead of anything good. <laughs> that was from the 70s. but anyway. And how wrong he was, really, because now, I mean, we have Dojo Cat, who's like just straight up dressing up like a demon and this, that and the other thing. And I guess Alice Cooper, who you, you're enamored with, uh, was a little bit uh, prone to that. But now he's a total born again Christian and the world's greatest rock and roll golfer. Right. <laughs> Look, maybe I like these people because they were down to earth deep down, you know, they, they were they were freaky looking, but. Uh, there was something in their eye that that told me these guys are cool and sincere people you know everyone yeah. that I've ever met you know I, I'm really good friends with Joe Elliott from Def Leppard he's the nicest guy in the world from Yoko to Lou Reed to uh, Iggy everybody I've met they've been wonderful you know and they always say don't meet your heroes but they've all been great so it brings me to, um, and we got to wrap this up, but what did you think of um, fame? Because I would say fame was uh, sort of the downfall of John. And then we talked about Bowie, and then Bowie and John both sang on that song, Fame. Do you have any insight on that? Um, I have an article about the song. It's interesting how it came together. But when I heard that John and Bowie, my two favorite people, were going to be doing a song together, I was thinking this is going to be amazing. And it was this funky thing. And I love it. I love Sly. I, love Steve. I like funk, but I don't know. I didn't expect that from them. And I, it was never my favorite thing. But, and you know, it's really foot stomping and, you know, it's got its roots in other things. Um, and I didn't think John had all that much to do with it, you know? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't love fame really well there you go <laughs> all right so where do people find your blog and and also tell them where to find the book okay so my rock and roll blog is madelinex.com it's where you find everything and then the book has a website called inyourmindbook.com and then to buy the book you can go to conceptualbooks.com or bookbaby at conceptualbooks.com. And it's also on Amazon for people who have free shipping, you know, up through there. But the signed hardcover books are only available through me at conceptualbooks.com. And the cover artwork is amazing. It's a great cover that you picked. Yes, everybody loves the cover. It's by an artist from Australia called Kat McInnes. I saw it, it was a greeting card that she was selling online. And she had also put it up on Twitter and Yoko loved it too. So I asked her if I could use it and she said, yes. It was, and, and I have a t-shirt of the artwork on the website. Well, go get it, everybody. We got to go. Um, yeah. And shout out to Spencer Drake who put us together. I hope. Yes, uh, he's you know, Spencer. <laughs> I love Spencer. We love Spencer. All right, Madeline, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I certainly did. Thank you so much. 
All right, good. All right, everybody, keep listening. We'll be back with more right after these words on TNT. TNT.